So this morning we are in Isaiah chapter 20, but before we start, let's pray again. Lord God, we again come before you and ask your blessing upon this time as we open your word, and we pray, Lord God, that you would speak mightily to us as we read your word and as we expound upon it. And I pray, Lord, as John did earlier, that you would speak to each and every one of us, for we are all in different places in, in our walk with you, and, and maybe there would even be some in here, Lord, this morning who have truly not given their lives over to you, who have not cried out for your help, and I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And if there's anybody else, Lord God, who is maybe drifting away and has fallen away from you and finds himself in a place where they feel all alone, that they would return to you, Lord God, that they too would cry out for your help. And we are thankful that you are a merciful God and a God who forgives. And we thank you and pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, we'll be in Isaiah 20 this morning. And the title of this morning's message is, Where Does Your Help Come From? And it's a question, where does your help come from? And I guess it would, the answer to that would be, well, what do I need help with? Right? Well, I mean, it depends what you need help with, who you're going to ask help from. But some of us, you know, depending on what it is, might think, hey, I can handle it myself, or maybe we have the resources and ability to handle it ourselves, and so we don't need that help. Or maybe we are reluctant to ask for help, depending what it is. We can be a little, maybe it's just me, but we can be a little stubborn in asking for help in certain areas. And even when we need help, we're still going to like stand our ground and double down and, and fight and even if it means we're going to get it wrong, we can do that. Does anybody else do that, or is that just me? You know, Okay, thankfully someone's honest. It's just me. <laughs> I know I ask for help every Sunday before I get up here, and as I'm studying God's Word, like, help me, Lord, understand this, especially Isaiah. Isaiah is, it's been a great book, but it's been, it's been hard work. If you've ever, well, you guys have been here with me, you're like, it is hard work listening to it. We're almost a third of the way through, by the way, so hold on. We're almost there. But there's great things that we're going to see this morning. So this morning, we're going to also see that Israel also needs some help. And uh, as always, in the book of Isaiah, they're calling out for help in all the wrong places. And so let's look at that story this morning. And as we look at that, we'll obviously find some parallels in our own life, I'm sure. Or maybe even some encouragement and warnings. So let's look at Isaiah. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and just by way of a a little background of what's going on. So last week we studied Isaiah 21, and it was really, there was no definite dates about when these things were going to take place. Isaiah was just prophesying that these things are going to happen throughout, which we believe, throughout world history, this coming to faith by Egyptians and Assyrians And so in chapter 20, he actually gives us a definite time frame on this one instance so we can put it in historical context. And so let's read that, and as I come back through it, we'll explain when this happens. So it says this, In the year that the commander commander came to Ashdod, where Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. 
And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Then they will go, excuse me, then they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and Egypt, their boast. So the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, such is our hope where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and we, how shall we escape? So just a small little section, but there's really a lot packed in there. And so let's go back and, and go through that. So in the very beginning, in, very, in verse 1, we are told that Sargon, the king of Assyria, is sending his commander to fight the city of Ashdod. And so many commentators believe that it is around the year 711 B.C., that this is happening. So that's why I said we actually get a time frame on when this happens. And this has already, obviously already come to pass, so we're looking back at it. And so Ashdod is 33 miles west of Jerusalem. Now remember, Isaiah is prophesying to Judah, who's living in Jerusalem. And so as you know, as we've been going through this, they are trying to make alliances with different countries to help them fight against Assyria. And now Assyria is just... 33 miles to their west and has captured Ashdod. And so they're pretty close. So in the process of what we find out in verses 2 and 3 is that in the meantime, the Lord has sent his prophet Isaiah out as a sign and as a token against Egypt and Cush, which is Ethiopia. So not only is this happening, but as it was happening, Isaiah was prophesying to Israel And he's demonstrating something specifically over these past three years. Isaiah was to act out the truth that was going to come upon Egypt and Ethiopia. Right? We're told in verses 2 and 3 that Egypt, at least in this section of the land, was to be made subject to Assyria. They were going to be defeated and they were going to be captured. And this is what Isaiah was portraying as he was walking around naked for the past Three years. Now, just as a little aside, it could mean that he was literally naked, or it could just mean that his, he had taken off his outer clothing and he just had his undergarment exposed. So, in that culture, it would have been like he was naked. Either way, God is using Isaiah to demonstrate something really vivid. He is acting out God's message to Jerusalem, specifically about Ethiopia and Cush. So in verse 3, we're told that he is going to be a sign and wonder. Let's look at that one more time. It says, And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush. So some of your Bibles might say a sign and wonder. You see, signs and wonders, just as a, a quick little study on this, signs and wonders were given in an effort to wake up the people that the sign and wonder came to. People that were maybe dull of hearing. Remember, Isaiah has been prophesying for quite some time. And as we've been going through this, you should realize that Israel is not listening to them, or listening to Isaiah. They never listened to him, it seems like. And so now God is bringing this sign 
this token of Isaiah walking around naked three years to wake up Israel. I mean, think about this. If you saw somebody in their undergarments or naked walking around, that's going to make you ask some questions or call the police or whatever it is. It's going to wake you up. There's something going on here, especially if it was a minister doing that or somebody that was sent from God. Like something's going on here. Either that guy's not right or there's, you know, there's a message that God is trying to give us. You know, we're not told what Isaiah was doing at that time other than walking around for the better part of three years. So again, signs and wonders are given to wake people up because they're not listening to the message. And they were given, not only that, they were given to help people remember the message. Again, if you saw Isaiah walking around, you lived in Judah at that time, you're going to remember that. That's not something you're going to be able to erase from your memory, is it? You see, prophets were given to God, or were given by God, to do that very thing, to make vivid and fanciful either speaking, writings, signs and wonders, to depict what's going on in the world, to make it very vivid and memorable. I mean, think of the prophets Daniel and Ezekiel and the prophecy given in Revelation. These are very strange images, symbolic images to get the audiences to remember something very important. You're not going to easily forget those things. But one of the things that we have to remember, it's not so much the sign and wonder that's important, it's the message that is trying to be conveyed that's important. You see, signs and wonders accompanied even the apostles for what purpose? To confirm the word of God that the apostles were speaking. The same thing is true here with the prophets. Something else I want us to remember, that the important part, again, was not the sign and wonder, but the message And if the message that accompanied the sign and wonder was contrary to God's word, well, then we were not to listen to that prophet. a matter of fact, you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy for one moment. Look at chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. We're going to quickly look at verses 1 through 4. That talks about this. Signs and wonders and the message that doesn't, that if it comes through and is contrary to God's word. Because even today, right, we might see miraculous things happen and we might think, well, that, something's different. That must come from God. Or why is that not of God if it's a sign and wonder? Well, what is the message being conveyed? This is what God said to Moses and Israel early on in their history. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. He says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, And gives you a sign and wonder. So this is somebody from within Israel. Or maybe even somebody that comes to Israel. A prophet or somebody that can interpret dreams. So he says, if he comes to you, look at this. And the sign or wonder comes true. So even if what they say comes true. Concerning which he spoke to you saying, look at what he says. Let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. So not only have they performed a sign of wonder, they're also saying, hey, God, they could be saying, hey, God spoke to me, and he says, we're supposed to go do this, whatever it is. But it is contrary to what God is saying. Hey, we're going to go worship another God, or here's another religion that we need to follow. Look at what God says. He says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. 
You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. That's very important for us to understand. If somebody does a miracle, and then their message is contrary to what you know about the Word of God, then you are to not listen to that person. We're to hold closely to the Lord our God. Because there are, John mentioned it, we do wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual rulers in high places that can mimic miracles and maybe even perform miracles. God allows that to happen, and we need to be careful of that. Even in other religions, things might look like they may be true. Religions have started based upon this because somebody had a dream or somebody had a vision, and they're now worshiping another god, a false god, and they did not cling close to the Lord their God. So again, signs and wonders are supposed to follow the message. And if the message is contrary to the word of God, then you don't follow that word. And just as an aside, the nation of Israel was also to be a sign and wonder to the other, to the other people around them that God was blessing them. Or even if God had cursed them, often in the prophets you'll see when God curses Israel, people will walk by and they'll recognize that, hey, God has forsaken these people God has forsaken this land. So, let's move on. So here again, God has sent Isaiah to be a token or a sign and wonder to the people. And now this is a sign about Egypt and Ethiopia, but the message isn't for Ethiopia or Egypt. The message is to be understood by Judah. Judah is the one that is looking at this message. And how did Judah receive it? Well, let's look at the text again. Look at verse 4. So after they see this, he says, So the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush. And your young and old and naked, excuse me, the young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. So the sign that Isaiah is given is he's mimicking what's going to happen to these people. And so verse 5 says, Then they... This is speaking of Judah. Judah is the one that sees this sign. Judah is the ones that see Egypt being taken into captivity, at least those in the city of Ashdod. And look at what it says in verse 5. Then they will be dismayed and ashamed because, Cush, because of Cush their hope and Egypt their boasts. And this is the, the big part of the message I want to convey this morning is that so Judah received this message and how they responded is first of all, they didn't really understand what was going on. They didn't understand that this was from God. They became dismayed. And that word dismayed gives a sense of terror and panic over a military defeat. So they see Egypt, who was their hope and their boast, it says, being carted off into Assyria. Remember, Israel had, put, had made an alliance with Egypt to help protect them from Assyria. And what did they see? Egypt being taken down in the city of Ashdod, so they are dismayed. Judah is in terror and panic over this. Their military strength, or who they had hoped was going to save them, has now been destroyed. And they were ashamed, it says, which speaks of being disgraced. They're disgraced because all that they had hoped for, all that they had had expected, that's what the word hope means here, their expectation of what Egypt was going to do for them has been destroyed. And so they're, they're panicking. They're disgraced. 
they realized that, hey, they might have been boasting, hey, we have Egypt on our side. Egypt is going to save us and keep Assyria at bay. And now they see them walking away into exile. And so everything that they expected has been shattered. Everything that they had hoped for and they gloried in and they boasted about had been destroyed. It failed. Their plan had failed. So what do they do now? Look at verse 6. This is what they say. So the inhabitants of this coastline will say in that day, this is speaking of Judah, this is what they say, Behold, such is our hope, that's being carted away, where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. So everything that I just said, they had fled to Egypt for help. So they see him being carted, they see the Egyptians being carted away. Again, they say, Behold, such is our help, where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Egypt. And we, their question, how shall we escape? Basically, what do we do now? Everything that we had hoped for, everything that we expected to happen, everything that we boasted about happening has been destroyed. There is despair and helplessness in the people of Judah. I was trying to think of a fair comparison to this, and, and you might not get this unless you really like soccer like I do. Like when the United States didn't make the World Cup last year, if you were to saw, if you, did anybody feel the despair like I did? Like, there was a World Cup? Just think of your sports team. This will get you. You were hoping that we were going to win this game, and then all of a sudden they lose, and everybody's dejected on the field. Hope and despair has all been gone. Or if like the, star quarter, the starting quarterback of your football team goes out of the game, just the air out of the balloon is gone, right? That's the sense in a much grander way because this is life or death. It's not sports with Judah. Everything that they had hoped for, everything that they'd pinned their hopes on, their trust and their glory, their boasting, we have Egypt, and there goes Egypt barefoot and naked across the desert. Now what? That's exactly what they say. What do we do now? What's... What do we do? How are we going to stand against Assyria? In hindsight, we're all looking at it and we're going, well, hello, trust the Lord God, right? That's what we're all saying as we see this. I mean, Isaiah has been speaking to you guys forever. He's been walking around naked for three years trying to illustrate this point to you. Do you think you would get it yet? Turn to the Lord is the message that Isaiah was, had been screaming at them and now portraying it very vividly. Isaiah, that's what Isaiah wanted them to understand before it was too late. That they needed to hope and boast in the Lord, not in foreign alliances or even in themselves, for nothing outside the Lord can save them. And that's what Isaiah has been portraying probably since chapter 13, going through each and every nation that Israel might look to for help has been destroyed. God has allowed them to be destroyed so that Israel would hopefully, finally, cry out to the Lord God. Now, before we get into some points of application, because that's all there is in six verses here, but let's ask ourselves a few questions about this. And I just want you to think about this. Why did Judah not understand this message that Isaiah had been speaking to them over and over again? Why don't they listen and believe all the prophets that have come to them, that the Lord has been sending them. Why do they refuse to believe them? Why do they refuse to listen to them? 
Why do they continue to compromise and resist the Lord? They see all the things going around them. What is it that keeps them from trusting in God? Why do they not turn to the Lord? Well, the answer to all these questions are no different than if we ask these questions of ourselves in our own lives or even in our culture today, right? So before we answer these questions, I want to back up just a little bit and focus on what's wrong with hope and boasting. And I want to take a little time to develop this. And I mentioned this just in passing, that that word hope is really expectation. That's what it means, an expectation. It's not like you're crossing your fingers. It's that you have this expectation that, is, that this is going to happen, and you boast in it, meaning you glory in it because you know that this is true. This is this, you know, Egypt. Again, Egypt is this great military force. They are going to help us. If you were Judah, that's what you're going to be saying. They had hoped and boasted in a foreign alliance. Well, you see, what's wrong with the expectation and boasting about this is the object of Israel's hope and expectation, the object of Israel's boasting. So there's nothing wrong with hope and glorying something. That's what boasting really means in this context. You look to something for glory, but what is your expectation and your glory in? Again, it's the object of those two things that could make it either right or wrong, depending on what's going on. And again, Judah hoped and boasted in their foreign alliances. And as we saw last week, Judah had even trusted in Egypt because Egypt was supposed to be militarily strong. They, had, and they were also very wise, right? They had wise men as well. And Judah might even thought, hey, we've outsmarted Assyria we're not going to make an alliance with Assyria. We're going to make an alliance with Egypt because they're, they're greater, they're stronger. At least that's what they thought. And so they said, we're going to do this because we don't need the Lord God yet. We're smart enough to figure it out ourselves, whatever the case may be. In this instance, it's defending themselves against Assyria. We don't need to go to the Lord. We need a military, we need a military country, a strength. You see, Judah no longer hoped and boasted in the God of their covenant. They now hoped and boasted in this other covenant that they made with Egypt. And so by extension, let me ask you, what about us in that sense? What do we hope? What is our expectation? What is our boasting in this world? Does the object of your hope, or our hope, I should say, and boasting keep us from the Lord? The object of Israel's hope and boasting did keep them from the Lord. What about our hope and our boasting in certain things in this life? Does that keep us from the Lord our God? Does it have the capability of drawing us away from the Lord as well? And so this, this part of the message is really for those of you who are believers. Because even as we, things happen in our lives, we can tend to forget about God who's there with us, just like Israel did. Right, We can start compromising our, the way that we live. We might surrender a part of ourselves to something else in this world that would tend to draw our focus away from the Lord. We might give in to things as well that draw us away from the Lord, not even knowing it. It's, it might be something simple, not something really big, but it's something simple. And then little by little, our expectation and our glorying in God begins to diminish. 
And over time, that object can consume our time, our talents, and our resources, and our thoughts. And I really think this is what happened with Israel, is they began to looking at all the shiny things around them and forgetting about the Lord their God. And eventually, little by little, their time and their talents and their resources and their thoughts begin to turn from the Lord their God. It took the spot of that God had at one time in their life, or should have. And if you've been a believer for any time, you know that can easily happen to each and every one of us as well, right? We get our mind and our focus off the Lord God and focus on other things that consume our time. And it's, and it's nothing, you know, I don't think any of us are, you know, are worshiping foreign gods behind everybody's back. You know, after this, we're going to another church and worshiping there that doesn't worship the triune God. But let's just think about your own life. Again, this is for believers. Think about things that consume your time, your talents, and your treasures that diminish your expectation and your glory and your hoping in the Lord God. Now, that could be television, right? I mean, we could mindlessly sit there and watch TV for a long time and, like, where, where did the time go? It could even be sports, right? Some of us can be so caught up in sports that it diminishes our our expectation and our glory and in God that we're more focused on the U.S. men's soccer team like I was talking about earlier or whatever team you follow. And it could be relationships as well. Think of the relationships in your life that could tend to pull you away from hoping in the Lord, glorying in the Lord. It could even be our occupation. We can be so consumed in our careers and spending more time in that and it takes our focus off the Lord. Or maybe even social media. How many times do we catch ourselves, you know, spending too much time on social media? And we're like, whoa, where did the time go? You know, you sit down to do something like, hey, I'm going to read my Bible. And then this notification comes up on your phone. And next thing you know, two hours later, you're watching somebody breakdance on YouTube. Whatever the case may be. Maybe that's just me. Like, breakdance? Didn't they do that back in the 80s? They did. You know... I'm going to be vulnerable here for a minute. You know, if you have, I don't know if they have this on, I know on my iPhone they have something called screen time. This may be helpful for you, those of you that are spending too much time on the phone. I found this a few months ago. And you could limit the time that you spend on certain things, and it'll alert you that, hey, you've been on this for 15, let's just say for 15 minutes, because that's, I'll set like social media, 15 minutes a day. You're like, and it'll pop up if it's been over 15 minutes. It says, do you want to ignore this limit? And of course I go, yes, I want to ignore it because I'm not finished looking at it. And so, uh, for example, so it'll tell you how much time you spend on your phone. And so over the last seven days, I have spent, well, now this includes work. This is a work phone, too, let me just say that. So when I'm texting or emailing, it's work, it's work. So, for example, so... Last seven days, I've spent five hours and 42 minutes on my phone or picking it up or looking at my phone. You guys might be like, dude, get a life, right? But I'm improving. It's 19% down from last week. So I'm going in the right, right direction. Now, where do I spend most of my time? It also tells you where you spend most of your time. So, so that's five hours per day. Over the past seven days, for six hours, I've been texting. Does that, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? If you six hours in seven days. Not six hours a day, you know, over seven days. 
So my point in doing this is there are ways that you can help yourself stay off the phone, you know, and stop wasting time. You're like, well, I was reading the Bible app for seven hours. That's what I was doing. So text messaging is my longest. And then YouTube, six hours. I've been on the phone for three hours. I've been on Amazon Prime for three hours. Instagram for two hours. Safari for two hours. Podcasts for one one hour, Waze for one hour, Gmail for an hour, and music 57 minutes, and then Facebook 44 minutes, Twitter gets 25 minutes. So why do I tell you that? I don't know why I tell you that. <laughs> the point is, is this is a practical way of saying, you know what, and I did this because I go, you know, I wonder if I spend too much time on it, and so just for my own self, I limit myself, and I try to keep going down and down on those certain areas, so I'm glad that Instagram wasn't on the top of the list there. But the point was, is that those things, think of that. That's six hours of my life over the past week that I've spent on my phone. Now, again, it could have been good stuff. It was work-related. It could have been reading, you know, listening to podcasts for sermons and things. But just for your own self, Christian, I ask, check what you're doing in your life. Is it helping you grow closer to God, or is it these little things that kind of take you away from God? lose your expectation. You're focusing on things that maybe aren't as important in your life. These things can eventually lead us away. Again, how many times have you been on social media where you find yourself like, this is a waste of my, I can't believe I wasted my time on this, right? And maybe we even can even cause you to slip away from the Lord because there's bad things out there on social media too that you have to be careful of. You want to stay away from those things as well. So where was I with that? Oh, yeah, these things can diminish our boasting and our expectation of the Lord because we're focused on maybe things that are less important. So that was the point that we just want to be careful on what we're doing, believers, because there's so many things tugging for our time, our talents, and our resources when we could be using our time much more effectively for the Lord. So when that thing happens in your life, what does the Lord do to get your attention? How does He get you refocused? So remember, Israel lost sight of the Lord, stopped hoping in God, stopped expecting the Lord, and even stopped boasting in the Lord. So what did the Lord do? He sent prophets to them. He sent Isaiah to them, and he sent him to act out some vivid things for them. Does the Lord do that for us as well? My answer to you is yes, he does. The Lord still sends prophets to us. Now, it might not be a prophet like Isaiah, But when God's word is proclaimed, that's prophecy being spoken to you. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict us of the things that we are doing. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to reveal to us our sins so that we might turn. So maybe even now as you're sitting out there or when you're listening to a sermon, you might feel that conviction, that spirit speaking to you that, you know what, I need to change. I need to confess something. Maybe that was my thing. I need to confess the time I spend on social media or on my phone. It's drawing me away from the Lord, whatever it is. Another way that the Lord sends His prophet is just by reading God's Word. Again, God's, the prophets did what? They proclaimed God's Word. So when God's Word is proclaimed, whether it's by reading of it or by a pastor preaching it to you, that's prophecy being proclaimed to you. That's God's word being proclaimed to you. So these are the ways that God is trying to get your attention, to get my attention, 
and get us refocused on Him. It could even be words of wisdom from your brothers and sisters as they speak God's Word into your life. So these are the signs that God is sending to you. And my question to you is, are you ignoring them? Are you not listening to them? Are you shunning them away? Be careful of doing that because you may fall into the trap that Israel did. So not only does God send prophets to us, He also sends signs as well. Maybe some of you can attest to signs that you felt that have happened in your life. Physical signs where God is speaking to you. Maybe through you know, a miraculous thing that has happened in your life or something that has happened in your life that you deem it. That, I think that's a sign from the Lord. And again, we just want to be careful of that. But God can use that. God can use situations in our life as a sign to wake us up. Maybe it's a sickness that finally got a hold of you. You were sick and you finally woke up to God's calling in your life. I think that's what brought my dad to the Lord a few years ago is when he was getting sick every year, every year he was having he had congestive heart failure, and it didn't, it didn't fail. Every year my dad was in the hospital. They were pumping his lungs, the fluid out of his lungs. And finally he said, hey, can you pray for me? Dad never said that. I said, I'll pray for you, Dad. This time he said, hey, can you pray for me? And then I remember the old pastor of this church finally went down and talked to my dad, and he gave his life to the Lord. And I think that was the sign, like, on your deathbed. And some of us can attest to that. Right, different things in our lives, that God has sent a sign to wake you up. That, hey, I am real, I'm here, I'm speaking to you. And it could even not only be physical, but it can be mental. It could be a mental thing happening that God is working in your life, speaking to you about things that you need to do or you need to give up. So again, those are just a few examples of the way that God might send a sign to you. Are you going to listen to those signs? Or are you going to be like Israel and be stubborn? which is my next point, what causes us to ignore those signs? When all these signs have happened in our lives, what causes us to ignore them? When God's word is proclaimed to you and you ignore it over and over again, why do you do that? Again, we sat here and we looked at Israel and we're like, hey, Israel, why are you not listening to Isaiah the prophet? He's walking around naked for three years. Why are you not listening to him? And we can ask the same thing about ourselves. Why don't we listen to the Lord God. Why don't we see those signs and why do we ignore them? And there's a number of reasons why we might do that. And I think one of them is that we hope and boast in ourselves. We feel, I don't need God. I'm good. I'm fine. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I don't steal. I'm good. So sometimes it's that for some people. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm healthy, I'm a, I'm a young person, I don't need the, you old people need God, because you're almost going to die. But me, I'm young, you know, not me, you know. When you're a younger kid, I have my whole life ahead of me, I don't need to worry about those things. You never know what's going to happen. You can't trust in your own health, because guess what, since the day that we were born, our bodies have been growing old, and we're dying. Maybe... We are financially, you know, we have, we're good financially. I don't see a need for God because, you know, I have, I have a great job. I have money in the bank. I have a great savings. I have a 401k, stock options. My company's, you know, in the Forbes, you know, what is it, 500, whatever it is. I don't have a sense that I need God right now. 
And sometimes that was Israel. Hey, we have Egypt, man. They're like the most powerful nation in the world. Why do we need God for? And maybe it's the personal relationships that you have. But, you know, you're like, hey, I have a great marriage. I have a great family. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's doing good. We're all good people. I don't really see a need to go to church. There's a bunch of reasons why people ignore these signs. And maybe, and I pray that that's not you this morning. You wouldn't ignore the signs when God is trying to reach out to you, those who are non-believers, where God's Spirit is working in your life saying, come to me. I'm the one that can save you. And for those of you that are believers, you might find yourself, you know, slipping away. Just, again, check yourself. I think that was the whole reason behind my thing with my phone. Just check your motives. What are you spending your time on? What are you expecting in life? What are you boasting about? So easily you can slip into a sinful lifestyle. So what should we do? Well, again, if you're a non-believer, I would say this. Some of you need to realize that you need to find your expectation or your hope and your glory in the Lord God. That's number one. So for those of you this morning that don't know the Lord, I pray that you will not leave this morning until you know and you hope in the Lord your God and you boast and glory in Him for what He's done. Some of us need to do that this morning. For the believer, I would give you two points of application. Some of us need to remember that God is our hope and our glory. It's not that we don't trust Him for our salvation, but sometimes we tend to forget about Him. You know, like you, maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and when you were a new believer, you were on fire for the Lord. You were at church, you were at Bible study, you went to prayer. I mean, you were just talking about the Lord all the time, but over the years, it's kind of dissipated. You know, I did that when I was younger, you know, I've already done that. I don't need to do that anymore. We need to remember that God is still our hope and still our boast. That goes on until the day that we die. And so if you find yourself there this morning, I encourage you to listen to the conviction of the Lord. And maybe, you know, some of us are, we're just doing good. You know, I, I trust the Lord. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not on Instagram as much as you, Robert. I'm doing good. Whatever the case may be, what should we do? Well, then just continue to praise the Lord for the hope that is in us. Praise God for what He's done in your life. Boast in the Lord for what He's done. God is my glory. God is the number one thing in my life, and I'm going to boast in Him. I mean, that's what we're doing when we're worshiping. We are boasting about God and all the works that He has done. Let me close with this one last verse. Turn with me to the next book in your Bible, which is Jeremiah. This is a great little verse, and it really explains a little bit about boasting in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 20. Actually, look at verses 23 through 24. And speaking about this very thing, he says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. This is what we've been talking about. Let not a mighty man boast in his might, and let not a rich man boast in his riches. So don't boast in your intelligence, your strength, or your finances, right? This is what Jeremiah is saying. But what should he boast in? Look at what he says. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Obviously, Jeremiah is speaking for the Lord. Boast that he understands and knows me. 
We should be boasting that we understand the will of God and that we know God, basically because what he's done in our life. And look at what he says. So again, let him who boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We boast in God because we know who God is and we understand who God is and we understand him to be a loving God, a just God, and a righteous God. That's what we're boasting about. And that's think about the praise songs that we sing. We praise God about his justice and his love and his righteousness. That's what we should continue to do. We boast about those things, not necessarily because, hey, I'm saved and I'm going to brag about it. No, I, it's because you know who God is and you want to share him with other people. That is what we should be boasting about. So let's close in prayer. And again, think about those things, where you're at in your own life. Do you need to trust God for the first time? Maybe you're at that point where Israel was like, what do we do? Everything is falling apart. I pray that you would find the Lord before everything does fall apart in your life. And for those of you believers that maybe have found yourself slipping and falling away, I pray that you would remember that God is your hope and your boast. And for the rest of us, again, let us continue to praise and hope and boast in the Lord because we know him and who he is. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending your prophet Isaiah to speak to the nation Israel. 2,700 years ago. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And even in reading in that text, Isaiah continues to speak. And I pray that we would listen, Lord God, that we would listen to the signs and wonders that you send in our life so that we might stay close to you, that we would not walk away from you, that we would not waste our time and our life in foolish things, but that we might look forward to your return our hope, and our boast. We look forward to that day, Lord God, when you would call us home to be with you. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's anybody in this room has yet to give their life to you, they might find themselves like ancient Israel where they don't know where to go. They're trusting in anything but you. I pray that they would see their need for you, that they would come to you this morning, Lord God. And so we thank you again for your word and the power of your word. May we heed its warnings and walk closer to you because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.